0: time again how much I care. Sometimes I feel my heart will overflow. Hello, I've just got to let you know
1: That was an interesting little ramble that I have summarily deleted. <laughs> I gotta say, hello again. Hello, everyone. This is Hannah Smith, the Friends at Roadside Shaman on Instagram with a fireside chat with you all. Um, I'm at the roadside today. Hope you all can hear me okay. I'm sitting in my car, waiting around in that um, little pocket of time between my obligations. You know, we all have like little random moments that we can capture here and there. Um, Just uh, a little pocket, a little container. And... We all have them, moments where we're waiting in line for something to be completed, moments where we've you know just finished one task and haven't really gathered the mental or physical or emotional gumption to begin another task. We find ourselves in that pause, that moment in the before, that uh, breath in the inhale, that moment between the inhale and the exhale between the exhale and inhale it's a pause so i find myself wanting to always capitalize on those pauses instead of just enjoying them for being the pauses that they are and so that's why i find myself trying to capitalize on this window of time make use of it make it productive you know make it into something take this Potentiality, this void of nothingness, this infinite opportunities of possible maybes, and I'm trying to carve and winnow it down to one sort of concrete, definite happening. So that's what I'm doing. I'm recording an episode while I wait for my son to complete his therapy, as is typical. For me, twice a week, I um, have a, you know, fairly significant chunk of time available to me to rest, recuperate between driving, you know, rather extensive drive with some pretty intense traffic. I could just rest. Sometimes I could take a nap. I could go get a snack or a refreshment. I could go do shopping. I could do errands. I could um, take care of groceries. I could pre-plan or acquire our dinner because we'll be done right around dinner time. Um, I could just scroll through the endless trove of information that exists in my phone connected to the entirety of human wisdom and consciousness I could meditate I could commune with Madre Mary I could walk in the sun I could stretch and do yoga I could meet a friend for a a secret date (laughs) I could um offer a course in um, emotional relationships with physical items, I could sacrifice my material wealth to my fellow humanity in this locality. I could offer up gifts of sacrifice I could go and chill with a tree for 25 or 35 or 45 minutes. I could commune with the wind, watch the clouds dance into different shapes on the horizon. I could look for the moon. I'm always looking for the moon when I'm here because it very often is just starting to rise in the distance or set in the distance. Um, I often get a peek of the moon here and always the setting sun further on, further on, further on. There's so many ways that I could choose to fill this unstructured available time that is truly, it's split focus because at any moment I could get called in at any moment. I could get called away at any moment. I could have to pause and start over because of a disruption, because that's what it is to be on duty, on call. I'm on call, guys. That's what it basically is. I'm on call. When you're a parent with a child that is actively being reared, actively being raised up by you, you never really clock out. You never really go off duty. And considering that I haven't raised an adult child yet, I won't speak to whether or not those expectations or burdens or, or split focus mindset, if that <clears throat> changes at all as you get older, as your kids get older. I don't know. I can't speak to that because I haven't lived it. But I can tell you that in my living, in my now, in my experience, you can't clock out at any moment. Knock, knock, knock. We need you. Ring, ring, ring. Text alert. <laughs> you know, whatever way you're needed, it's uh, it's felt. It's felt in the body. It's felt in the spirit. It's an awareness. And so while I can try to quarantine my awareness and put filters up and everything like that, I never really truly achieve the the peace or the, what's the right word, oh English, why do you have to be so English? Well, you know, just sometimes there are no words for these things in English. That's the thing. The only time I really feel that clarity of 100% peace is when I'm in my state of oneness. When I'm in my state of, you know, shamanic flow, when I'm in my state of joy when I'm feeling um, euphoria or ecstasy, when I'm feeling peace of resolution, these are the times that I feel clarity of focus and I feel the peace of my own child. But most of the other time, I'm seriously like split focus. I'm seriously thinking at any moment the call could come the alarm could ring so yeah so that does a number on your adrenals guys have you ever heard of adrenal fatigue you should google that shit. i'm hoping that that just paused the playback and didn't stop it i don't know at what point you lost but um i believe i was talking about adrenal fatigue i got a phone call that disrupted things of course because what did i just say at any moment, the phone call could ring, but I don't think I need to talk to anybody in Virginia right now. (laughs) Just guessing. Um, (coughs) So yeah, Uh, adrenal fatigue basically means you've been in that state of fight-flight-freeze on heavy rotation for so long um, and for so intensely that your Um, organs have quit on you your internal organs that spit out your stress hormones and your stress balancing hormones well they just the works are all gummed up they can't they can't kick out any more adrenaline it's like the metabolic equivalent of being all all cried out like there's just nothing left to uh startle you to shake you out of your fog you're just uh, rubbed raw the gears have all been shaved down the solenoids don't fire that's what it is to be an adrenal fatigue so um I lived that way for a really long time I was like one of those like zombie people that like sleeps from one task to the next and um relied a lot on luck to get me through uh Dozy moments on the highway, you know. Um, my, my metabolism was a wreck, and I've I've resolved a lot of that by kind attention, kind focus. But if I don't give kindness to myself, and I don't give attentional focus to myself. It's real easy to dissolve back into inattention and disillusionment. Um, it's very easy for me to dissociate and, and leave the body and forget the needs of the body. When I'm in a state of spiritual flow or um, distress, either way, it's dissociating. Um, so... yeah, the fact that I can sit here and try to do something productive during this time when it could just be zone out time, mental clearing time it could be meditation time it could be nap time the fact that I'm turning it into something productive feels good, but it also feels um, like one more manifestation of my production wound I, I, don't, I don't know if people even know what I mean when I say that, the production wound. It sounds so strange. Um, For me, the production wound is the tension that one feels caught in the snare of the false matrix of capitalism. I.e. this uh, spell that is put over the human insisting that they labor and that their labors be laborious um, this is not understood in the natural world not in this way and I, I personally have in, um, internalized a lot of that expectation of production and perfection and you know Capitalizing literally on every moment and every material resource in order to, you know, make something of it. Make something of it. The idea that something just can't be or exist as it is, that we have to stick our hand in there and shape it, that is the human. I mean, that's the creative relational force that defines us. That's what means. That's what they mean in my mind when they say that we're um, crafted in the likeness of God. Um, I particularly think that they're referencing our creative relational essence. We humans, we humans are so very creative. So, yeah, I did make use of these minutes, these moments, this time, this, you know, unstructured time, infinitely mutable moment that could have been utilized in any way. I'm pointing it towards this thing that I really feel is being called for honoring and that's independent media that's evolving conversations that's vulnerability that's authenticity that's transparency that's what this media outlet is actively generating and producing Um, it's hard work that i've been supporting on behalf of Mark and Holly and a a lot of the people in this algorithm, in this this little web of spirits. I've been supporting this work for a long time. And they've been doing this work for even longer than I've been supporting this work. And so um, the fact that I am now shoulder to shoulder with them under the yoke, equally bound in the effort, unified in that striving, I can't help but feel a sense of pride. I feel a sense of pride knowing that someone might be listening to Soraya and then hear me. Knowing that somebody might be calling in to talk to Deborah or Holly and happen to hear something I said. I'm proud that Mark invited me, welcomed me, affirmed what I was saying and thinking and feeling, and said it had merit, said it had value, said it had worth, said it deserved snaps, echoes, claps, crumbs. I have pride. And I, and I, unlike many, many, many previous times in my life, the pride doesn't come with a sense of Shame, because in the past I often would feel a bizarre sense of wrongness any time pride arose in this vessel. It's very critical energy. I don't even know where it came from, um, or what purpose it serves. And I do strive to quiet, to quiet that critical voice inside me. Um, Not to silence it, because. Nobody likes to be shushed, but I just want to quiet the critic enough that I can hear their words and intention without so much wounding and piercing in my ears. It's just, sometimes that harpy is so strident, so shrill inside my head, I'm like, God Almighty, who in the world ever spoke to me that way, that that's the voice in my head, and I try to play back my memories, and I don't have a whole lot of um, conscious, recallable memories from my childhood, but I swear, my voice inside my own head sounds meaner than my parents, you know, I don't know, I... Yeah. The production wound runs deep. It started early, it started young. Started with a lot of positive affirmations about how smart I was and how much potential I had. Oh Jesus, the burden of potential. Sometimes I really want to just like do a hardcore delete on that word. I mean at least as applied to children. Jesus. That's twice I said that name. You can tell how strong of a feeling it is. The burden of potential. I assure you, it is a burden. To have potential is a burden for a child. It's an unfair burden to put on any child. Don't ever burden a child with potential. Okay? You're an adult. You have potential. A child doesn't have potential. And ch- a child has innocence. A child has joy and ambulance and creativity, curiosity, righteous indignation. Oh my gosh, does a child ever have righteous indignation? But a child does not have potential. A child is. And if a child is not appreciated in the state that it is, it cannot grow beyond that state. It cannot. It can only alter. And and I'll just just, full disclosure here. Look, I'm going to get out of the vague and get into the specific. I can tell you what it means when you silence someone's voice. I can tell you what it means when you choose to shape someone's Expression, their communication. I'm going to give you a little bit of an example. Try not to talk too much about my kid just to honor his privacy and stuff, but this is really more of a story about my own discernment, my own parental antenna, as it were. And while it does directly address some of his behaviors, um, suffice it to say, I, I. I feel this story belongs to me and I can share it without violating his self. So, as you may or may not know, ABA, Applied Behavioral Analysis, is a common therapeutic practice and intervention utilized um, in uh, households with autistic children, with schools, daycares, um, in group homes, and, and the like. And these techniques are scientifically based and proven um, effective in reaching the goals that they set out. However, they're also proven to be effective in causing upwards of 70% PTSD rate resultant from being exposed to the therapy. So my child, who is autistic, was exposed to this therapy rather significantly um, with our full participation, cooperation, my husband and I um, worked diligently to ensure that he got this therapy because we were told, convinced, uh, assured that it was what he needed in order to thrive. And we, you know, being new parents and very insecure of our own um, uh, expertise in this area, being unfamiliar with autism at the time that we learned of his diagnosis we listened to the experts who we thought were the experts and we listened to them for quite a while and we listened to them until we realized that listening to them was fucking nonsense and ruining (laughs) things and there was a summer where we lost every single glass in our entire house like every glass glass was broken and shattered. Most of the bowls, most of the plates, um, all every single glass except for like one or two that m- made it through the storm um, was broken in a summer. And, like, yeah, you get a lot of breakage in a house like ours because of lots of reasons, but this was different. This was really, um, well... How can I put this? It was a marked difference in behavioral expression um, and all behavior is communication. And Truman at that time was choosing to express his distress or displeasure or basically like any, a lot, a lot of times when he was choosing to communicate, he was doing it in a way that most people would find very hard to tolerate which is screaming at the top of his lungs um and so if you have an auditory sensitivity which both myself and dave and truman all three of us we all have auditory sensitivities if you pair that with the shouting the screaming um, it feels very assaulting and it, it causes a very tense environment and so We were very motivated to try to get him to stop the screaming behavior. Um, We had a therapist, a new case manager, who was put onto our case and it was coincidentally during the time window of this behavioral escalation. And so it was her job, she was tasked with helping us figure out how to resolve this. Well. I don't know how I can tell you this, but it's like I knew that she was going to be bad news for our household when I saw her walking down the ramp of our driveway. I saw her from a distance, and just the way that she entered into our consciousness, I was like, this is bad news. And I'm like a really open person when it comes to like working relationships. I'm a very like flexible, fluid. I get along with a lot of different personality types. I'm a middle child of middle children, middle of five, both genders, older, younger, I, I know how to get along with people and I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt two or three times, you know, um, and that was the situation with her. It's like, I knew that this is a new field, a new industry. People are trying to learn, you know, everyone was being stretched beyond their levels of expertise or even capacity in many ways. Um, they were just being, you know, run ragged in a lot of ways, these people that are working in, in these various therapeutic interventions. And so oftentimes they were put beyond their limit and did stuff that was either power struggle or just performative functioning in order to make up for the fact that they weren't trained. They had no idea what the fuck they were doing half the time, uh, 80% of the time. And the 20% of the time they did know what they were doing was usually toxic and dangerous. So, um, at any rate, this woman comes walking down the driveway and I get a sense she's not for us. I kind of swallow it, stomach it, push it aside, kick it down the road, whatever. I don't acknowledge it. At least I don't acknowledge it fully, but I do ask questions. I start talking with other therapists that I trust, friends, other adults on the spectrum because at this point we were already in the space where we felt like ABA was something that had to be very carefully and conscientiously applied and it couldn't be done by just anybody and you had to pick your therapist carefully and you had to pick your setting carefully and you had to write your goals carefully and you had to not use aversives and like we thought it was something that we could do safely but unfortunately like spanking your kids there's just no good way to do ABA there's no safe way to reach in and apply behavioral analysis to another human. Not if you really want to preserve their autonomy. ABA is a compliance-based system. And so you cannot create independent thought and action from a compliance-based system. It's it's physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually impossible. Cannot be done. So, um... Bad goals applied well really just doesn't get you anywhere. This is a long, random, random rambling anecdote. But I swear to you guys, there's a point. And it has to do with listening to your intuition. Because this woman came into the house, started working with us. And her suggestion as a way to get rid of this screaming behavior was to offer Truman... A a functionally equivalent replacement behavior, which is a picture flashcard of something that he wanted to say, like some verbal expression that he wanted to say, yes or no, basically. In other words, that if he started to scream, we would offer him this placard or picture to use in substitute. Well, he very quickly stopped screaming. I mean, like within a matter of days. He stopped the yelling. But the replacement behavior that he chose, because you can offer a functionally equivalent replacement behavior. You can. You can offer a bunch of functionally equivalent replacement behaviors. What you cannot do is make someone choose the replacement behavior that you want. We thought we could choose what he would replace that communication with. We were so wrong. He went from screaming to straight up physical destruction. When he did not have some sort of uh, way to communicate what he was unhappy about or unclear about or confused about or scared about or tired about. All of his communication went from verbally inappropriate to physically inappropriate. He just started grabbing shit and throwing it and breaking it. Everything that wasn't nailed down became a projectile for a certain season. And it was like Hurricane Truman. No joke. Um, he chose his replacement behavior. We didn't. So we can argue until the cows come home whether the screaming or the breaking glass was worse. But I can tell you that the screaming was less expensive. <laughs> And easier to clean up after. (laughs) Because screaming doesn't come with clutter. Or glass chips. Or cut feet. Or any of the other things that the physical destruction came with. So, anyways. What is the point here? The point is, I went on for weeks with this woman in our life and in our house. Trying to make it work multiple conversations with her, with other staff, with her boss, with the staff below her, with previous therapists that had worked with him, with teachers, with other therapists that were currently working with him, with his family network. Like I talked with everybody about this woman and this situation simply because I was scared to kick someone out of my child's life. I was scared to claim that authority. I was scared to say, I'm right and you're wrong. We know what's best here. You don't. And it took that very unfortunately dramatic experience to get me to that place. But now I have an excellent filter and I don't allow anybody near my kid for a minute that I know is not in a space to work with him or to be around him. I have a really strong filter. I have a really strong radar for, for who's good with him and us and who's not. And I have zero chill on speaking about it at this point. I tell people right away, you don't work well with him and this is why. Can you adjust to this specific way or, we don't handle that kind of communication well we need this kind of communication or if you really need to get a hold of us and so you better handle it that way like i just i'm not trying to hurt people's feelings i'm just honoring the fact that me trying to not hurt people's feelings by swallowing my own truth for so long was really more damaging to everyone in the long run i've learned to loose my tongue just as much as i've learned to chasten my speech mind my word make them impeccable i've had to learn to free it i've had to learn to speak the truth in the moment when it can be of good of service you know i should have kicked her out that first day it would have been weird it would have been awkward and uncomfortable it would have been like well but she's the one who got assigned why do you have to be difficult you know but If they bring you spaghetti and you ordered lasagna, how many bites are you gonna take before you complain to the waiter? You know what I mean? Sometimes you know the order is wrong and you know right away. And the longer you wait to speak up about it, the fewer opportunities there are to fix it. Everybody else has finished their dinner by the time you get your replacement meal and they're all cleaning up and you're rushing through and it's cold anyway or not heated through all the way or burnt or soggy, it's wrong. It's wrong but had you said something right away you know or or if you had spoken your order firmly correctly loudly you know clearly maybe they wouldn't have gotten the order wrong I'm not blaming you don't worry I know people get orders wrong all the time do you get the point though guys the point is listening The point is following the intuition. The point is sitting in your own authority, your own sovereignty. The sovereignty that you feel relies on how much you trust your discernment. How much do you trust you? How much do you believe in your authority? How much do you believe that you know what you're talking about? All of your authority comes from that inner knowingness. Everything else is just performative. It's fronting. All right. Well, I don't know where I've gone from here, what I've done. I don't know how long this is. It feels like something. It feels like something that could be something. It feels like a flow. Feels like October, that's for sure. Yeah, feels like October. So, yeah, moments, time, authority, sovereignty, maximizing on moments by getting quiet, learning to strengthen your voice. If you strengthen that internal voice, you won't have to quiet yourself so much. You know what I mean? If your inner voice can learn to speak up a little bit, boy, that means you can work in a crowd. That means you can work in the storm. You don't have to sit on a mountaintop, you know, navel gazing. You can be in the world and not of it. There's no more time for rooftop sitting left. We're not waiting for the second coming. It already happened, it's already happening. It is already happening. And I know English is terrible. So you're just going to have to believe me that that's a word. And it means all the tenses. Because English doesn't have a word that means all the tenses. I don't think. Because, again, English does not have um, the best options when it comes to talking about these uh, ineffable things. So, that's it. I think that's it. 4.30. I'm nearly done with my little pocket portal window. And I would like to play some of this back to make sure the audio quality isn't terrible. I hope you guys can hear me. It's been a little loud with the freeway noise and stuff. And I hope you haven't heard too much clinking clanking from my various adornments around my neck. Um, But, uh, yeah. That's it. This is all. I can't really drum up much else to kind of wrap this up neatly for you but it's just basically that it's that trust in your own internal authority, your own sovereignty trust in the oneness the consciousness that we are all part of feel your power as a wave within the great ocean of humanity You're a wave crashing on the shore and drawing backward, just like any other wave, just as powerful, just as important. You move the seawall, you polish the sand, you bring the currents, and you carry the surfer. (laughs) You like any wave, as much as any wave. So, breathe and wave, breathe and wave. And I will um, say hello again to you all next week, if not sooner, by saying Chukma Chipisilacho means hello. I will see you as the Chickasaw have no word for goodbye.
2: Broke down that I would drown Hope that I'd been found Before I hit the ground Some days at the corner of my eye Yeah Saw you weeping, saw you creeping Saw you sneaking in the shadows long The feel so strong Saw you at the corner of my eye